pull up a seat to the edge of table with Nicole Biscotti and Melissa Seiboth. Welcome. We are so glad that you've decided to pull up a seat to the edge of table. My name is Melissa Sidebotham, and I'm here with my good friend, Nicole. Hi, I'm Nicole Biscotti. The edge of table is a place for parents and educators to share ideas and perspectives. We feel that this com- these conversations have become even more crucial with everything that we're dealing with and the impact that it's having on education and on our children. Today, we're going to be discussing the inequities in education that are being exposed during COVID-19. As we talk about these, we have assembled a rock star panel. So let's go ahead and get them introduced. Um, first up, we have one of our, our our friends of the show, Evan Whitehead. Please go ahead and tell people a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me on again. My name is Evan Whitehead. I'm a um, been a school district educator for over 20 years. Um, I have been a central office administrator um, and had roles of a director of special services and also assistant superintendent. And um, I'm also a national consultant, presenter, and speaker, and mental health advocate. And I'm in the I'm in the Chicagoland area. We are so glad to have you back on the show. And next up we have Amber Coleman Mortley. Amber, could you tell people a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi. Uh, my name is Amber Coleman Mortley. I am the director of social engagement at iCivics. Uh, We make video games and civic content. I'm a former teacher of about a decade, and I'm a mom of three. Um, And I also run a blog, Mom of All Cakes. Please follow me on Twitter and everywhere. She always has some great content, so you really should follow her. Uh, Next up, we have Noella Bickle. Noella, please tell everybody about yourself. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Noella Bickle. I am... Uh, mom of two, including a middle schooler with ADHD. I've been working in education for 15 years in both private and public. I'm currently an assistant principal for guidance in middle school. So I work uh, with counselors and 504s primarily. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And last but not least, we have Shelly Vora. Shelly, tell us about yourself. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm from Toronto, and I'm also an educator and um, also coach and consultant. So I do consulting on the side. I just came out of a coaching role um, due to some cutbacks. So they had to send us back to the classroom. So I'm doing a little bit of math and science right now and some ESL. And I'm also doing some projects and research projects with um, some universities here uh, because I do have my PhD in ed tech. So I have a lot of projects on the go, and this is the way I like it. I like to keep busy. <laughs> Thank you all for being here with us tonight. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to pull up a seat and be part of our conversation. I'm excited to hear from all of you and, and also learn more from your different perspectives. Our first question tonight is actually from your perspective. What inequities already existed in education prior to this crisis? Evan, would you like to answer that first? Sure. So, um, you know, unfortunately, we we are pretty aware of the inequities in terms of um, socioeconomics and also health health disparities. And um, it's always been a struggle for 
public school districts in particular, because um, at any given time, you know, our our demographic and our student profiles could change. And because of that, we've always had to be proactive. And um, we've always tried to have a balancing act in terms of how do we make sure that all the students that we have get what they need and when they need it. And unfortunately, we know about the access opportunity gap that often leads to an achievement gap. And then also in terms of risk and protective factors that um, within the environment that also impact a lot of our students and families. And, um, you know, unfortunately now, you know, since we've had to, you know, pivot um, pretty quickly in terms of what our school year, school day looks like, um, most, of those, most of those inequities um, have been, um, you know, highlighted or even magnified exponentially. Um, so, you know, the things that we once knew existed or, or thought were manageable or we could at least find ways to support, now, you know, the inequities or, or inefficiencies that exist um, in terms of um, students and family needs um, now really um, has been highlighted due to this um, current pandemic. Thank you for that perspective and your role as an administrator um, district-wide. I can see that definitely you guys um, have to plan and be proactive about the gaps that, that students are facing. Shelly, I wonder from where you're at in Toronto and your role as coaching and um, having been in the classroom, what what inequities were you very much aware of from where you were standing prior to the um, Before this pandemic, I think uh, a lot of the inequities that I was seeing was um, the access to te- technology at home, uh, you know, just the basic basic needs. I mean, I always go, when I talk to educators and families, I always think of Maslow and his hierarchy, right? If those basic needs are not met, kids are not going to learn. And so if you have kids who, uh, you know, are going home where there's no food or an abusive household, I mean, that's only going to be exasperated now because everyone's stuck inside, unfortunately, right? So I worry about those kids. And it's just, you know, in terms of access to food, access to basic resources, uh, those inequities were definitely there before. And now with this pandemic, I just feel that the gap is even even wider. And I, I worry about the kids that when they will, we do come back, uh, that uh, that's going to be even more uh, transparent and apparent in terms of those uh, the inequities. Exactly. You, you bring up a great point that not all kids come to school on equal footing emotionally or um, feeling supported or having access to safety in an emotional sense. That's That's a very good... Um, point because that's a very real thing and we're thankfully we're becoming more aware of it but we have so much work to do in that area. Noella as from your role as an administrator in a a school um, and as a mother what inequities were you mostly um, aware of from your perspective? I from uh, my district is a huge district we have over 30,000 students and it covers a large um a large part of California, a heavily populated large part of California. What that looks like in any of those school sites is a huge range of students coming in. So from the most affluent areas, um, students are coming from the most affluent areas. Students are coming from um, multiple families in um, in very small, tight quarters, 
um, working with homeless students. There's so many um, types of kids that we're seeing that it's hard as teachers, as educators to be able to reach that broad spectrum. So you're going to see everything from um, food instability, housing instability, all of those, as Shelly was saying, um, if those basic needs can't be met, then certainly educational needs can't be met. And, but at the same time, especially as students get older, that achievement gap keeps widening. And a lot of teachers are working so diligently to put all of their fingers, you know, we I think of the, the little Dutch boy trying to put all of his fingers in that dam trying to, you know, hold hold it all together. And um, looking at technology at home, looking at not only technology, the actual physical devices, but using it on a regular basis. So even if they're able to get a computer, the practicing of being able to use it, the support from parents and family that knows how to use it. There's so many pieces that go into it that the students are coming from so many varied places. It's not just, you know, one group or two groups. It's an exorbitant number of groups where trying to figure out how to fill in all those gaps. Definitely. And I think that something that you touched on, when you're dealing with a diverse population, especially a large population, it becomes difficult as for us as educators to identify the different inequities because we certainly can't make assumptions. And a lot of times, if we're not extremely observant, and even if we are, unfortunately, we can miss a lot. Amber, what, what did you notice as being the um, inequities that you were aware of prior to the crisis? Yeah, there's so many. Um, you know, I would say there's obviously inequities, uh, historical inequities that have existed in this country um, on the lines of race and class and how race and class intertwine with each other and manifest in the lives of students and their families um, and how that uh, pr- creates the, the learning environment for them, you know, whether good or bad. Um, your zip code, obviously determining how successful or where you're going to land or, you know, the chances for you to go to college. Um, and then I also believe that there are inequities in what parents uh, know uh, and what parents understand um, and what parents can expect from their child's K-12 education. Um, that can be across the lines of class and race as well. Like a lot of parents just, they just don't know what to do. Um, and then also uh, there's inequities as far as, and which I'm passionate about is like civic participation, right? Like, you know, understanding like that you can make change in your community and make change on your school board and make changes um, at, you know, at the local and state and even at the national level. Um, and then understanding how, how government and politics actually work and impact your lives. So, you know, there's, there's inequities there. So there's, many. <laughs> I think you've all hit on, you know, so many salient points here. And and what I keep hearing over and over again is that the inequities that children were facing before this crisis, you know, were innumerable and, and vast and, and great. And, you know, 
now as we are going through this crisis and i think a lot of a lot of us are are between 2 and 4 weeks into either shelter in place or this distance learning um and we're seeing a lot more things happen do how do you all feel that these inequities have changed since this crisis? Do you think that they're getting any better? Do you think that they've gotten worse? What are you seeing? Shelly? Um, I believe it's going to get worse just because um, even though like my board is committed and many, many districts in our province um, are committed to providing technology, technology to those kids who, uh, who don't have it and the Wi-Fi capability um, that's all, that's great. But, um, I just, I just see it as a short, short-term strategy right now. And I don't believe that we're looking at the long-term impact of it. And, um, I think I said in one of my uh, recent blog posts is that, uh, digital inequity is not a strategy. It's, it's, a institutional commitment and we can't just, um, see it as something that we're going to do right now. And when we get back to quote unquote normal, then we kind of, kind of, you know, put that on the back shelf and forget about it. And the other thing I worry about too, in terms of um, the gap, is that even if you do provide technology to these kids, I worry about the ESL kids. You know, the kids who don't have English, who are just beginning English language learners, and their parents are also beginning lang- English language learners. How are they going to be get supported? They, those kids need face-to-face English language teachers to learn the language. You know, I worry about those kids, like I mentioned before, who are in abusive households where that might be exasperated now. I worry about uh, uh, kids who are in families where their parents have lost jobs and the parents are worried about how they're going to pay the bills. Learning is not going to be at the forefront, no matter what technology they have. And, you know, myself, like um, in my family, I have four family members who are in the profession, in the medical field. And I worry about them because they're one of their frontline workers. So if I'm sitting here trying to teach and also worried about my family members, you know, that kind of puts added kind of stress, emotional stress on me. So if I'm an adult and I'm worried about my about my family members, I can just imagine kids whose parents are nurses and doctors and who work in hospitals, what they must be, the fear they must be feeling about their parents getting sick. You know, so there's so much to think about that even, even though we give the technology to these kids and we might continue with the food program um, those are some of the, some of my students I worry about in terms of, um, keeping the learning moving and making sure they get those social emotional supports and just making sure they're safe. Like I worry about those are the kids I worry about the most because those parents who still have their jobs, those parents who are educated, who know how the system works, those kids will be fine. They're going to learn regardless. So those are the kids, those are the kids I worry about, those underprivileged kids. And I just find, I believe it's going to get it's going to get worse. I mean, we're only in our first week right now of online learning. And I just find that as time goes on, those kids who are disadvantaged are going to continue. That gap is going to just increase as time goes on. Right, right. Amber, did you have something you wanted to jump in with? Yeah. um, You know, I think, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot about this, you know, speaking with um, you know, educators about this, uh, how it's impacting their students. And, you know, I think we, a lot of us come from a place of privilege where it's like things were okay and now it's getting worse. And it's like for a lot of these students, their their lives were already like, you know, like this is just 
the rest of us pulling off the Band-Aid for real and like actually being able to see into the lives of our students. You know, we have a, an idea, you know, when when the students come into our doors, we can we have an idea of who they are and what they are and what they can bring to the table. Uh, when they leave out our doors, we kind of have a tendency to think about, oh, maybe that child's life is terrible, but maybe not. You know, they were here with me all day and now they're you know, not out of sight, out of mind, but more like they're at home now. Right. Um, but now because they are in their home and now because technology has placed us in the home with our kids, um, we are actually, as educators, being able to see what these students' lives actually are like. So for me, you know, I think of it as this is not necessarily like things are going to get worse. Yes, device will will continue to widen, but I, this is a very important moment for us to say uh, we are we are analyzing how society actually is the way society is structured right now and how it is operating in the lives of people uh, in a way that we have never been able to before. And we have a lot of really tough choices to make. I'm so glad that you that you brought up that point, because I think it is incredibly true. Um, being able to to kind of have that window into our our students' actual lives has really made it impossible to for for people to ignore what's happening right in front of them and 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 that privilege is is very real and it's all around us. Thank you for bringing that up, Evan. You said you had something that you wanted to add. Sure, you know I would I would definitely agree with what uh, Shelley and Amber said, um, and I would also. Note that, you know, for a lot of our students, you know, the, the challenges that they have, um, as I said, have been have been increased. And, you know, from the social emotional standpoint, I think that, you know, there are a lot of students that um, have challenges that affect them every day. And, you know, I think now that now that they're at home, you know, with with, you know, with their family structure. And if there are certain risk factors that already were there in place, you know, now, you're, you know, the reality is that school for a lot of our young people was a safe place, right? It was consistency. It was the one place that for a lot of them could, could get away if things were challenging, you know, in their, in their home environment. But now they're forced to be there. And I think that, you know, if any, if nothing more, you know, I hope that this opens up our eyes in terms of an education system about the importance of social emotional learning and well being, um, and how and how critical it is. Because you know, there's always been talk about that, but it's never really been on the forefront um, systemically. But now I think this this crisis has has caused that to happen, where the importance is more about the well-being of our students, well-being of our staff, you know, even the families, um, because if there are, you know, any other challenge that they may have in terms of, um, you know, uh, mental health and wellness, you know, now more than ever, the, the main point is to, is to support everyone in that way. And now I think, I think it's going to provide an opportunity that everyone's truly going to see the value of looking at social emotional wellness, social emotional learning and competencies and why why it's so important in the education you know setting. Because at the end of the day, you know, if 
you know, if if those basic needs aren't met and students don't feel accepted, they don't feel safe, right? The academics don't matter, you know. And right now, this is this is an opportunity for everyone can see what that truly means because you know this is a crisis, right? This is and this is also a traumatic experience, you know. So you know, as much as we want to try to say that we're all maintaining or getting through or pushing through, like this is something we've never, we never ex- expected. And, you know, it's another reason why I'm, I'm always, you know, cautious in terms of the way that I talk about what's going on now. And any, if I've referenced this as e-learning or distance learning, I'm, I'm also making sure that I reference it as this is e-learning, distance learning, or working remotely during a crisis. It's not the same thing as doing that when it's not in crisis, because there was no planning for this, there was no preparation for this. It happened instantly. And the the next, the, the other piece is that you know why we're why we're talking about how to get through right now. The other part is you know we need to begin to plan on for what's next because um, this is going to be the way that we're going to be doing business for quite some time. And even if even if we're able to to return to um, being in the same room and having and being close physically and interacting, you know, in, in person, the reality is, is that everything we've done now has changed the way that we look at education, the way that we operate. And we just can't decide to go back to the way that it was because that that's 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 a huge shift. So we try we want to avoid like like immediate transitions because there is going to be there are going to be remnants of this that that's going to happen, whether that means the wellness and social emotional well-being of our students and them coming back. We don't know what type of trauma they've experienced because of this situation at home. Um, parents, you know, as 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 you know, we talked about earlier, parents um, may have lost their jobs and, you know, financially things are tough and even teachers. Right. Um, you know, as educators, we now have these roles that are that are happening simultaneously. You know, we don't have the ability to switch, you know, and, and, you know, put them in compartments where we once did in terms of teacher, educator, um, parent, and then spouse, significant other, and then possibly caregiver. Now, all of that's happening at one time. And we have to, you know, be very mindful what that looks like and the type of pressure that puts on everyone. Um, including the children that are in the homes and including, you know, the families and adults as well. Right, right. Well, and and you bring up a lot of important points there. And and one that I just wanted to kind of go back and touch on is you bring up um, how important that social and emotional learning piece is. And I think that a lot of those things have kind of gotten a bad rap or people kind of latch onto them as buzzwords or things that you can throw around, um, you know, to sound cool or to, to sound like you're talking as part of the in crowd or whatever you want to say. But I think with what we're going through now, it forces us to really understand the importance of them and how the impact that they actually have. Noella? Um, yeah, I wanted to, Evan brought up some really great points that I, that I wanted to, um, look at as well. Um, what I've been feeling is that there's been a lot of, um, certainly discussion about inequity and I feel that from a general population standard, it's felt like we'll just give technology, right? Just give them a computer and that's going to solve everything. And, 
Evan brought up how important school is for more than just we learn, right? We go to school, we learn things, we go home. Um, And I think that talking about the importance of the school in society is so crucial to our conversations right now and what the school provides more than just education. That social emotional piece that's really been taken away from these from these students. They don't have the social that they used to. They don't a lot of students this that was their emotional support. Their counselors were their their social emotional counselors and they've lost that. I'm I know that you know I'm privileged because I was able to have a my son's therapist have a, an online appointment, an online video appointment. That's not what the majority I think of the students have access to and knowing that that for as much confusion as adults have about this for children that are not that have even less control of the situation that they don't have that social emotional support and the importance that schools play in not only providing social emotional, but those basic necessities that we were talking about, those meals, um, the safe, the safe space to be every, you know, five days a week. Um, I work with our school's homeless population. They don't have a home right now. They're, you know, giving them a computer is going to solve nothing for what they're currently going through. Um, the numbers of you know people filing for unemployment are so high right now the children are processing that they're seeing that and they're not having the school support that they once had and um it does bring out those inequities more than than just having that computer there um our district is passing out technology but i think about my families that don't have cars that are having to take buses to try to come to meetings. Are they even going to be able to get that technology? The technology band-aid doesn't work for the the issues that our students are facing on a daily basis. That's so true. And you know, you you brought up and, and Evan also brought up again the fact that school is often a safe place for a lot of our students and it, it offers so much more than just the academics. And we had um, Dr. Korb from the Center of Developing Minds on our show a couple episodes back. And, you know, we were, we were just kind of getting into, you know, what this whole experience was like and talking about the, the concerns that parents had in dealing with COVID. And he, he brought up this, this, um, this very dark piece that I don't think any of us in the conversation were really ready for. And he, he made it very clear that, that there are going to be a much higher number of domestic disputes and domestic abuse cases. And he even went so far as to say, you know, if you keep guns in your home, make sure that they are taken apart and locked up because there really is no place to go. And the stress level can be high and, and, we do need to be cognizant of that. And especially as educators where we're reaching out to these families, we need to make sure that we are being cognizant of, of that very heightened stress level that they are, are 
experiencing right now and and really thinking about what kinds of additional services we can get them in touch with. Um, Amber, I, I see your hand is raised. Yeah. Um, I actually, the point about social emotional learning in the place of the school, I think, you know, over the past couple of decades, we've kind of forgotten about the purpose and intent of school in the first place. Um, school is a child's first foray outside of their own family and family values into community um, and into helping them define what it means to be a citizen and what it means to be a participant in a community with people who are different from me, um, what it means to, um, you know, explore new ideas and, and challenge my own beliefs and figure things out um, amongst a group of my peers. And so I think that that's why uh, you know, our students are mourning uh, the fact that they are not at school. I know my own kids uh, who are home, they're, they're pretty upset about it. Um, and I, I also think that, um, you know, the, the way that schools can foster community and belonging um, in a way that, you know, you, you feel like I, I'm going to belong to my family no matter what, right? Um, but schools have a very special way of uh, developing within a child this sense that outside of my family, there is a place for me to go. There is a place where I feel welcomed and I, I feel like I belong. Um, so, uh, you know, yes, throwing technology is not going to solve this problem. Um, a lot of the really great teaching techniques that I've seen my own uh, children at, in my house, their teachers, um, are continuing, they're continuing to foster that sense of community within that virtual space. And I think that that's the key to keeping these kids kind of locked in uh, and in a sane space, at least for that, you know, 30 to uh, 90 minutes that you have them uh, virtually, um, is just to continue not just the social emotional development part, but also fostering like, how do we stay connected? How do we build community? Um, how do I allow you this opportunity to feel a part of something uh, other than your family um, that you're, you're, you're definitely missing right now in this moment? Absolutely. And that's a really important point is that school does serve a purpose in our lives. It's not just about having content delivered to a computer. It is part of being a, it's a big part of being a part in, involved in a community. I know I teach high school, and when I think about my students and what they're missing in terms of socialization, and that's so important for them, and also as they approach senior year, and some of them are seniors, and thinking about what they want to do next, they're really lacking a lot of support that maybe some of them were only getting from school, because I know like a lot of kids I work with and trying to figure out which school they want to go to and which programs, and they may not um, have that support at home whether because parents aren't familiar with our education system or, um, you know, whatever the situation might be. What I want to ask next is what concerns do you guys have about equity going forward? So as we transition back from this, you know, the situation that we're in right now, our leaders keep saying that it's not going to be a light switch. It's going to be a transition. I know that most of us are hoping that in the fall we'll go back to school um, on schedule, but what it, what concerns do you have about inequity as we transition back in? Shelly, I wonder if you could answer that first. Sure. Um, I guess what uh, concerns me, um, not so much, I mean, obviously the equity issue still is very concerning, but um, 
the one thing I do wor- uh, worry about is when we do go, when whenever we do go back, whether it's September or later on, depending on um, how much longer we're dealing with this, um, I worry again about, you know, moving from how, I'm trying to phrase this in the best way possible, how as educators, how we, how we treat our kids and their families right now, I think will impact how they view us when we eventually do come back face to face. Um, I know in up, I know in in the states, um, many districts are using a variety of um, plat- video conferencing platforms to interact with their students. Up in Ontario, we're not we're not allowed to use any because of our privacy privacy issues. So I can't I can't even see my students. Um, I can't even talk to them. Like we're not we're not allowed to use any audio conferencing or any video conferencing at this point. So all my contact with them has been basically through text, and. Um, and uh, um, because there's so many educators doing a, a great job, there are a few educators I see who are putting undue stress on their students right now. And I worry that um, I worry that when we do come back in September, whenever we do, I just worry about how those kids will view the system um, if we don't make changes right now. We we don't start making changes and addressing those equity issues. And again, I think we've all mentioned the fact that it's just not about throwing tech. Had kids. Um, it's more about, you know, though that social emotional aspect. So if we're not showing our kids that we care and that we, you know, we want to make sure they have food on the table, we want to make sure they're social emotionally well. Um, I just find that, you know, and again, going back to that's um, the part about being in abusive households or parents who are stressed about the bills. Um, I just worry that that's going to continue just because even though the social restrictions might be lifted, until a vaccine is found, um, you know, we're still going to be uh, limited in what we can do. So I worry about, um, I just worry about the fact that that it, those inequities might, will continue. And it's a matter of putting a plan into place that's going to be long term and not just a strategy that works for the short term um, while we're dealing with the virtual learning. That makes sense. It really does. And one thing I was thinking while you were speaking, Shelly, is that we're talking about how we perceive the kids. But at the same time, we've also established that the inequities in many cases are more obvious. So where we may or may not have known what technology support, for example, the students have at home or whether they had Internet or not. Now that's something that most of us know. So if you're a student and you know that your teachers in your school knew that they had to hand you a computer and knew that they had to point you in the direction of um, assistance for Internet, it raises the expectation from us, I believe, as well as educators, because now students are coming in um, maybe feeling a little bit more like they've been a little more exposed. Things are a little more out there. And um, how are we going to address that? So yeah, I was going to say that that's, um, that's kind of what I was talking about in terms of when kids do come back and how do we, because I know my board said that once we're back in the building, though that technology will be returned that, that we gave the kids. And I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so what, again, what message is that sending to our families and their, and their ki- and the kids in terms of uh, addressing the equity issue? So shouldn't this be some kind of wake up call that maybe we need to, be putting some long-term plan into place where these kids continue to have the resources they need at home instead of saying, okay, you know, this is a short-term solution. And when this is all over, 
we're just going to take it back. That's not really addressing the inequity, the digital inequity issue. It's like I said at the beginning, it's just a short-term solution and it's not dealing with inequity at the institutional level. It's just using, giving the technology to kids right now as this is a strategy, that uh, problem-solving strategy that works for now. But when we're back, we're taking the tech back from you. Absolutely. And I what does that feel like? And what I'm wrapping my mind around that. Absolutely. And what message does that send um, to the student? Yeah. And as we move forward and transition back in, um, none of us really know the effects of the trauma that we're all experiencing right now. Evan, you were talking about social emotional uh, learning. What what supports do you anticipate that a district could put in place to really um, support kids as they're transitioning back in? Right. So, um, you know, most most districts will have a, you know, a crisis plan, you know, for when things happen, whether that, you know, is the unfortunate um, situation of a, you know, a death by a student or family member. Um, you know, if there's something tragic that happens, there's usually a plan, you know, there is going to that is going to have to be the way in which we plan in terms of transitioning, because this is a reentry. Right. So, you know, we're going to have to now be able to support students, you know, and educators, you know, to so they so they can you know, function, you know, into, into what one deal with what has happened before, but also, you know, what's necessary. So I foresee that there's going to be a need for um, a lot of, you know, mental health support that's going to be built in to, to what schools and districts need. Um, So that may come in multiple forms, such as additional clinicians, social workers, school psychologists, counselors, et cetera. Um, and then also, you know, uh, a lot of school districts here in the states, you know, have employee assistance programs and what that in terms of, you know, when, you know, an employee is going through anything and that's personal related um, or issues. I can see something like that being built in to, um, you know, what's available even on site, if, if not on site, but, you know, have a partnership with um, maybe a mental health organization in which referrals can be provided or accessible because we don't know what we don't what what we don't know yet and you know it's you know to to assume that we don't need to plan for that um, transition back to you know physical um, space in terms of the learning environment you know would be foolish um, the other part is that you know I think that you know, in terms of health services, um, you know, there's going to be need to put a lot of support behind that. You know, a lot of schools necessarily don't have school nurses, or if they do have a nurse, it's it may be an RN um, it, or an LPN. It may not be a certified school nurse here in the states. You know, with that, and we know that there's um, a huge there's there, there's a huge need right now and a void in terms of in terms of certified school nurses, you know, very hard to find, very hard position to fill. And, you know, because of because of what's next and we don't know, you know, we're going to have to make sure that we are working on prevention and prevention strategies 
um, more so than intervention, because we want to make sure that that we can, you know, try to at least decrease the likelihood of any type of um, health risk happening before, you know, more time, more than we did before. So um, I think there's going to be a shift in terms of um, budgets and the way that budgets are created and, and what that looks like. Um, the other the other challenge is that um, some of the pre-existing health disparities, you know, that that exist in terms of the prevention, in terms of health care, to be able to have that boost um, to, to hopefully build up the immune system potentially and what's needed. Um, you know, those are other supports that will, that will have to be built in. And it's going to take a true collaborative effort and collective impact between the school system, um, community-based organizations, and um, healthcare for physical and mental health as well to, to, to do this. You know, Emma, when I was listening to you, I found that um, your comment about preventative as opposed to intervention to be really interesting. Um, I really, I really like the direction you're headed with that because in schools, we, we do talk about intervention quite a bit, don't we? We don't always talk about prevention. And you're right. If there's going to be every student coming back to school, in my opinion, is, has experienced some form of trauma. We all have. And there has to be a way for us to, to learn how to mitigate that and to support everybody as they transition back in. Amber, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, um, I have to add, um, you know, one of the biggest concerns for me is uh, people forgetting about everything that we've experienced. I think humanity has this way, I, I consider it the etch-a-sketch etch effect where we just kind of shake the picture away and then it's like, oh, we're starting fresh again. We're going to redo. We're going to go back to normal. Um, you know, poverty is a very, very deep problem in our uh, country. Um, it manifests in the school system and obviously in other places in our society, healthcare, et cetera. Um, and we tend to forget that as citizens, we have the power to, at least at the local and state level, like pay attention to policies and vote for people who support um, the kinds of programs that are necessary to kind of prevent um, or and even and, and even assist in 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 improving uh, the situations that that we're experiencing right now. So you know my my biggest concern is that you know on election day people are going to forget <laughs> that we've all been through this, like we've all gone through this, that this happened, that our students are experiencing this, that children in your neighborhoods are experiencing this um, and that we're not paying attention to making sure that there are policies and programs in place uh, that can actually solve the problems that we're all facing right now. That's an excellent point. We do. I love how you see the Etch-a-Sketch effect and we do that. I always feel like that after the school shootings, we have these tragic events happen. Everybody um, gives their opinion on Facebook, it seems like, and then nothing changes. So. I do hope that going forward and maybe with this pandemic being more of a long-term problem that we have to transition out of, we can see some real um, improvement in, in terms of equity and equity. Noella, what are your concerns as we transition? Back? I think a lot of it is similar to what um, Amber so eloquently said. Um, in addition to forgetting, I also feel like 
there is this drive to return to normalcy. So this will just push through it, you know, pick your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The sooner we get back to normal, the better it'll all be to the detriment of um, really acknowledging what those traumas are and figuring out what the traumas are and, and not focusing so much on, wow, we've lost out on two months of learning and let's get back on track for, you know, we got to get, we got to push that, (laughs) that instruction in there um, and really just taking the time and, and the understanding to, to, to really get to the root of how this is going to affect all of us. And it's going to affect all of us in so many different ways that this push to return to normalcy has to take a backseat to the mental health of not only our students, but our communities and the teachers that have had this trauma as well, taking teachers away from students. No one goes into education because they're looking to get rich and famous. They're there because of the kids and there are kids and there's trauma for the teachers as well. Um, And just not push, 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 but working through it. Very, very true. And I think, you know, listening to everything that, that everybody has said, I think that we can take a look at the the one best suggestion that we can learn from this crisis is that there is we cannot return back to normal. We're going to have to create a new normal, and it's going to be imperative that we address the issues that um, these inequities that have that have really had that harsh spotlight shined on them, whether it be special education, social economic status, um, race, the digital divide, whatever it happens to be, I think that that's going to be the number one thing that that we will need to take away from this moving forward. Yes, definitely. And I want to thank you all for pulling up a seat and being part of our show today. Those of you that are listening and as well as our panelists, thank you for being here with us today. Please reach out on Twitter or Instagram at the Edutable. We really love to hear from you. Also, remember to check out the articles and videos on our website at theedutable.com and subscribe so that we can deliver all of this original content right to your inbox. Thank you again for listening. And remember that children always benefit when parents and educators work together. You can find this podcast on a number of different places, including Simplecast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and now we're finally on iHeartRadio. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because the more reviews, especially the more positive reviews we get, um, the more we get seen and the more we can spread this content, this wonderful content to more people. Thank you again, and we will talk soon.